Oh, yeah. This is the Universal Wrestling Podcast. Inside the ring. Outside the ring. It's all here. We're talking about the greatest sport of all, professional wrestling. Now, here's your host, the cream of the crop, Nick Dieterding. Come on. Welcome back to the Universal Wrestling Podcast. Welcome back, Chris Dunn. Chris, how the hell are you? Doing well, uh, Nick. Is, thanks for uh, thanks again for letting me come on the podcast with guests to promote uh, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Uh, we're in the last week of donations, and uh, currently now, uh, please go to my Twitter and you'll see an auction item for a AEW meet and greet. If you live in the Los Angeles area, when they are at the Forum in uh, early June, where you can meet Chris Jericho, Adam Cole, the Young Bucks, Justin Roberts bunch of other people at AEW and have great seats and a lovely evening. So, um, so yeah, please uh, donate if you can. Absolutely. And uh, Matt, Matt McCarthy is here. How are you, sir? Welcome to the program. Thanks for I'm coming. I'm great. On. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Again, Chris said it off the top, you know, we are trying to push this uh, fundraiser, this awareness for such a great cause. So we do appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, to help make awareness for such an amazing cause. So cheers to you, my friend. Thank you. Hey, cheers to me. <laughs> there we go. Matt, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this, but I think, and I kind of mentioned this on Facebook a little bit before, uh, I think we both worked at WWE like in 2009 or 10. Do you remember doing a New York television festival pilot called Homeschooled? With uh, the sidecar guys, Justin Tyler, Alden Ford, Matt Fisher. Um, yes. So, I was a pro- I was a producer on that. I was okay. A Justin and Alden, and it was like a big. We were all really excited to get you. Um, and uh, I wrote I wrote a pilot recently where I used the term clown shoe, and like one of those. And Justin Tyler read it over. And he was like, he was so excited to see it. And I completely forgot because in your scene, you call one of them clown shoes. And I was like, he was like, talk, thought about how that was like such an awesome improv you had. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he he used that because of Jericho's. <laughs> and uh, it was just like a memory that kind of like tied into wrestling in a fun way where uh, using that term just really kind of stood out for the people who worked on that uh, pilot over a decade ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I remember that. I remember I had um I had like a big set of headphones that like I sat down and and vanished and the sound guy had the, like the exact same headphones and I was like I I don't know what happened to my headphones and and I think cuz he wound up giving me his and I knew that they weren't my headphones but my headphones vanished and then I he was really upset uh because I don't know if he thought I was trying to scam him out of headphones yeah or I mean the the long and short of it was is somebody swiped the headphones or I was like I was like I don't know did did somebody put them in your bag or I don't know I this is (laughs) something (laughs) I haven't thought about in 10 years and I'm trying to piece together the, well, uh, if there's if there's one thing I am that I think our mutual friends at WWE would tell you is topical. So uh, <laughs> uh, that's that's honestly 
most of what I remember. I remember there being a, other men in the scene, <laughs> and there and there may have also have been women, and then there were headphones. That's that's that's, that's the it. best I can recall. We tried to do the headphone spinoff, but it just did not work out. Um, wow! But, so did that pilot get picked up? Sure didn't. Um, oh, <laughs> um, but it's you know it's also like you know we were such big fans of you as a stand-up and like it was so cool to have you in that and then you know as a like fan of yours i was really excited when i saw that you were working for wwe as a writer and then um when i got to wwe you were you were a person who was consistently talked about throughout my um five years there as like a living legend um uh, when, when, were you there? when were you there again i got there 2016 in august and left right after right around mania in 2021 okay um, so so then so then you were there when i was like consulting yeah so we had a phone call uh with with tom cassiello and matt weir uh and somebody else uh because there was the idea that uh wwe could do these slammies uh as well as the oscars could do the oscars oh my god and everything was pitched uh it was in toronto uh drake was floated as a host by somebody who'll go unnamed uh we talked about having a big cast musical number because of that one song he sang at nxt uh, then the budget came in and the project surprisingly did not move forward <laughs> right <laughs> you know it's funny we this in 2011 uh the same scenario came up again of having todd pettengale nice come back and like reprise like basically do we were comparing it to that steve martin snl monologue where he like dances through the whole <laughs> studio oh yeah yeah like yeah. backstage right and it would yeah. be pettengale doing it like through the whole arena that's kind of cool yeah it would have been amazing yeah and like and like there's only a, like there's not a lot of people who can pull that off but like pettingale could have pulled oh, that yeah. off you know and that was one of those things when that's when kevin eck was there um and i remember specifically him and i talking about it because like we definitely knew that snl episode and then when um brian gewertz was our boss at the time he came back into the room and we pitched him the idea and it, the look on his face was just like, yeah, that's not, <laughs> that's not going to happen. We're not, yeah. he's well, like, is, I'm not even bothered bringing it to Vince. There is like definitely a point where you, I don't know if you felt this like when you're there where it's like, you have all this creativity and then like you kind of understand the production element of it and like what is and is not possible to do day of where like, I always like, you know, like you kind of see that. I think you were there, like when The Rock was back, and yeah. he he did like he came out of the car and like walked around, made fun of Miz. But like, uh, you know, when you pitch that for current talent, like we, I think in my time there, we only did it for Elias. Sometimes like the production elements like just make it so hard to do cool stuff there. Yeah. Now, why is that? Is it just the budget, like you guys said, and maybe it just doesn't seem like it would be pulled off on, you know, national television? I, guess, I mean, it depends. It depends on everything is situational. 
Yeah. It also depends on who's pitching the idea. Um, yeah. Because like if, you know, like just for example, throwing out a name, <laughs> uh, Triple H came up with the Elimination Chamber. That is a extremely expensive contraption, <laughs> you know. Um, you can also but, like run it in so many arenas because it's so insane. Right. <laughs> right. And, and like, but like, I remember um, John Laurinaitis was the, the GM at the time and he had this white suit. And this was like, yep. Vince's baby was at so oh god someday we're gonna get a payoff on this white suit and so the the day finally came where a baby face was going to destroy this legendary white suit coat that it, it, so finally it it comes down to brodus clay um as it always does yeah this this was when you know vince was on the edge of Mm, we're spending a lot of money on Brodus's push because like it, it was a whole that the giant disco ball and stuff it was like <laughs> I don't think I don't think Brodus Brodus realized how expensive his act was and but he was getting a, a, a big push and um this was towards the end of Vince was at the end of the rope with him and we had to do a backstage where basically Brodus Clay uh, trashes Laurinaitis's office and rips up the suit coat and this was something that it's like you know we're spending a lot of money on just him, him trashing all the stuff yeah. and then he rips up this coat and then uh, Vince hated the backstage he said that the acting was terrible <laughs> And uh, and then it never aired. And then there was just this the the white suit coat vanished. So it was like that's that's like one of those things. Like if if I was to pitch this, you know, it would just be like you know we can't pay for this 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 this. We'd have to buy a couch. We'd have to buy a this. You know, I remember one time there was a backstage. We specifically told Big Show don't touch the TV monitor, <laughs> and instead he he punched it. And it smashed into a thousand pieces. And I remember Teddy Long was standing next to me and he goes, oh my God, they told him not to touch the gimmick. And then he punches the gimmick. <laughs> That's great. So I don't know. It was If it was yeah. Vince's idea, spare no expense. If it was somebody yeah. else. I mean, there was one time Vince sent the plane to go pick up Kali because Vince wanted him to be in a battle royal and Kali was like at home. Yeah. You know. Oh, send the plane. <laughs> um, it was in my time there, was like, uh, to show you where I was at, like, I, I started doing like all the off sites for like my last year and a half there. And like, mm -hmm. I learned a lot about the budgets on it, doing like the profits Viking Raiders thing. So, oh, like, God. you know, I, I, I was doing a lot of the 24 7 stuff. And like, sometimes when you're there, you just like, I don't know if you agree with this. Like, if you just give the man what he wants, you have like freedom to do whatever with it. Like, if you, if there's like one thing he wants and you give it to him, he's happy. Uh, so I pitched, um, I knew he wanted to do an offsite during the 
uh, pandemic era at the beach. So I pitched a 24 uh, seven offsite there. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Tazawa was eaten by a shark. Not my idea. Um, right, right, that's right. But you know, it's like when you kind of get an idea that's like out there like that, that's like so insane. It like kind of gives you like a certain level of freedom. So I was like, oh well, like we can do a, a funeral uh, for Tazawa, where he like wins the title back and he's like staged his death. Death. So like I spent about three days calling uh, funeral parlors around Orlando, oh looking for a casket. And I got as uh, our friend Michael Kirschmaw will make fun of me about. Uh, I got a day rate on a casket. I got 250 day of. It's like working. So I wrote out a whole four part thread. And like part of it, you like realize that like Tazawa had like a secret affair with Billy Kay, who like we we, we had come in for it. Uh-huh. Or, or coming in for it. And like it would be really emotional. And we had like all this stuff planned. And like, uh, like I was even using Titus in it, which is always like a um but like uh yeah because of titus worldwide and lo and behold because of the uh randy orton um uh rainbow six uh sniper killings that he was doing to everyone backstage we had to cancel it kind of because it was going to be like too much on production to have both so like uh, like finding that not being able to do that funeral is like one of those ideas i as dumb as it sounds is like one which i wish we could have nailed well, God, I mean, the it, the stuff of I was not there for this, but it was the stuff of legend. The footage that they shot for Vince McMahon's funeral that was supposed <laughs> to air, yeah, you know, the day the the weekend the Benoit tragedy went down, um, and specifically, they said that Michael Hayes's performance of like wailing over Vince's casket. They were like, it's a crime that could <laughs> never be seen yeah. well you also know like and <laughs> i don't want to say anything too offensive but uh you know like that <laughs> michael was that was a real performance so for hopefully 15 years of job security so <laughs> <laughs> it was like that was his audition tape for like julia right yeah makes sense what about you matt do you have any wishes any regrets that maybe you wanted to do like a storyline or just anything um i mean it's funny at the time i mean two things one when i wasn't there but like every so often i would send a pitch to like kirschenbaum or somebody i would just be like why why is billy k you you mentioned billy k and i was like why is she wrestling you know she my pitch was she and she still could be bobby the brain heenan she i, I she remember should, Kurt bringing this up to the group uh, good yeah yeah he, Kurt, your your ideas uh and i wasn't even again yeah. i wasn't even working there at the time i was just like sending a text like this, this is what would be great yeah um because she's so funny amazing um and you know it's like i i don't need it's just i don't know it's one of these i don't know who it is i it feels like a vince thing or somebody it's like there's always the like if somebody 
can work like a um uh i can't think of his name he used to do the powerpoint pr presentations oh Drew Gulak. if somebody can work vince wants them to be a comedian yeah you know if somebody's a comedian vince wants them <laughs> to to go into the ring and work like like selena vega and almost were like the greatest act together yeah. Or like Lana and 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 um, Rusev were the greatest act together. And so Vince is like, well, it, it, it would be like if he was booking Miss Elizabeth to like wrestle like Moolah or goddamn, you know, Sherry Martell. It's just like, no, no one. What are you doing? Yeah. So that was my thing. It was with, with Billy Kay. I was like, she should have a stable of heels and just like do that Bobby Heenan thing of just talk so much shit yeah, and then have no, nothing to back it up except for these monsters like that. She, this wall of, you know, humanity that she hides behind. Um, yeah. She's like, she can, she is good in every segment where she's so funny. It felt like her floor, um, like she could have easily been, r-truth as like her floor at the company like the like yeah. like like when i was working on the pay-per-views in my last like year or so there like i always tried to find an excuse to have her and truth on the show because they always made the shows better yeah yeah ron was one of the people that i loved working with because it was always going to be um either the way i pictured it or better yeah you know? yeah 100%. um Kane was the same way, you know, I think his politics are shit, but like, yeah. he's a guy that <laughs> you could hand him a script. He wouldn't complain. He wouldn't be like, I don't want to, because there's plenty of guys that'd be like, <laughs> what do I have to do that? Um, he would go off wherever, yeah, memorize it and do it exactly the way that you had envisioned it or that Vince was dictating it be done uh, or be better, you know? Yeah. But the thing that I was like, it's funny. I didn't know how to pitch it. And this is back in like 2000, early 2012. But I wanted to do something. I was fat. I'm, I'm fascinated by wrestling history. And I was reading about like the gold dust trio, you know, like. Um, and I can't even think who that is off the top of my head is Sandow, Strangler Lewis, and, and I think Tootsmont. Um, and these were the guys that really, really changed wrestling from like match, literally matches taking a few hours to like standing up, like shooting into the rope, running, you know, yeah. slam bang, Western style wrestling. Yeah. Wrestling. And, and I thought that that would be a great name for a group. Call it the gold dust trio have Dustin in it as gold dust. You know, he was a producer at the time. And then had I known more about the talent, it, I don't know if, if the, um, the vaudevillains were already in FCW or when they showed up, but like, those were the guys I was picturing in my mind. Yeah. I, cause what I wanted was a wrestler like, um, uh, who was the guy that did the strongman gimmick? Oh like, man. With the, with the mustache. Oh, Aiden, uh, Simon. Aiden. Simon, yeah. Yeah, 
I'm an N agent, I guess. Yeah. Um, what in my mind, it would he would have like we would have painted it because you already have gold dust there. Yeah, so you've got a guy painted up. If we had someone who's the mouthpiece, who's kind of like the the Barker, the 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 you know the 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 P.T. Barnum, you know, yeah. old timey. I'll tell you one thing, kid. Twenty three skidoo, that whole thing. Yep. And then the strong man, but paint him gray. So even in the arena, the man looks <laughs> like he's either black and white or sepia, sepia <laughs> in real life. Yeah. Um. But I was like, I don't know how to articulate this. And like you said, it just this feels like <laughs> it's so yeah out of left field. Yeah. Um, and then they actually wound up with the two guys that would have been perfect for the for the deal. <laughs> so I was just like, damn, man, damn, yeah. maybe I should have spoken up. Um, the only other thing that really killed me was I had the idea of like wanting to do a throwback like as though you had found a videotape of old wrestling and then you just put it in and it's just like random territory promos yeah. and like segments and all this stuff basically what what wound up you know the idea uh of of southpaw wrestling or what oh was, yes that was, yes that's yes. what it was called right yeah. yes so much it was so like it was so much my idea that i was like did i write that down i started going through old emails <laughs> i was like did i like pitch this to someone did i mention this to someone yeah because i i couldn't believe it because even at that point i had i was talking to a couple other like comedy writers and i was like maybe we can like pitch this to like adult swim or somebody or something but um i mean those are the, those are the things yeah, that, I'm sure that, you, I, I would not be shocked if you <laughs> like knowing knowing how that goes I, I would not be shocked if somebody found a piece of paper <laughs> i know who knows yeah I, but i i was like i can't think if i ever yeah even said it out loud yeah, yeah one thing i pitched i'm oh, sorry the, the one thing i pitched really early on was um i think it, it, it was leading up to mania 28 and we were going to do a rock concert and, oh, and, okay. and brian oh, yeah. wanted songs and like lyric you know parodies for Dwayne to sing and and a couple of the guys who are still there were in the room and we'll back this up and i go well <laughs> if you listen to john cena's theme song this is like late 2011, maybe like coming into early 2012. I was like, if you listen to his theme song, if you sing along with the horns, you can go, John Cena sucks. John Cena sucks. And everyone's like, okay, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Probably not. Yeah. And then cut to yep. <laughs> two or three years later, and the crowd is actually doing it. Yep, it's the biggest um, thing. Yeah, I re I re I specifically remember Kevin Eck. So I think Steve Oppenheim too were like, "This was McCarthy's pitch." Yeah. That's great. Did you write that one down? I said it out loud. I said it to the room. I definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, it somehow, That's funny. It, the crowd in London or somewhere. Yeah, the, the night after I think Mania. it was. London. 
too. Yeah, they go nuts. Yeah. One thing though, uh, that I think like going back to our uh, our brief slammies call for the one time we worked together at WWE, uh, the one thing that I kind of found out that call was like we you were informed on the call that the bar was being put together. And through that, I found out that you were the guy behind the Daniel Kane therapy vignettes. Yeah. Um, wow. And just like, how did that all come together for you? Like, did that, was that your pitch? Did like, were you getting the assignment? Like, yeah, no, that was an assignment. That was because, um, that was an idea. The, the original idea fell apart, but then we just kept going with the skeleton of the idea. And what I mean by that was, um, we were, I don't know what the end game was going to be but raw 1000 charlie sheen was the social media ambassador which means he was on you know facetime or skype (laughs) and he would chime in every so often from his house in 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 la and i drew the short straw of like vince we gotta have a writer there in charlie sheen's house with him (laughs) And, and i got volunteered for the job and so I was, I was with Charlie Sheen in his house, you know, kind of like yeah. explaining to him who everybody is and what's going on. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I even said to him, I was like, uh, cause the, the two things out of that afternoon were, um, one, he said to me, he goes, these people know that it's fake, right? Oh God. You know, he's like reacting to the crowd cheering. And I go, well, Charlie, it's really, it's no different than crying during a movie. Yep. And he's like, all right, I could see that. And it, and like it, he was like, ah, yeah. You know, just being caught up in it. The other thing was, is, um, I was like, you remember when, uh, you remember when Andy Kaufman went on David Letterman and that wrestler slapped the shit out of him? He goes, yeah, yeah. I go, that's one of the guys you're about to talk to Jerry Lawler. And he was like, wow so that was yeah pretty cool cool. so but at the time he's promoting his new show anger management so the idea was he's going to say a few things about brian danielson and it maybe in vince's mind it was going to lead to a match like (laughs) daniel bryan and charlie sheen were going to wrestle or there was supposed to be more charlie sheen involvement but as soon as Ang- Ang- his show, Anger Management, came out and was an instant hit. It was, yeah. He, he was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm not doing any more yeah. wrestling or promoting or just uh, everybody leave me alone. Because I think it went to like, didn't they get like an immediate like 100 episode order? Or yeah, something it was like a, it was like, it was a weird time because Gethard's show got the same thing, like a 10 with a 90 pickup. <laughs> <laughs> so wild and it was on fx too right yeah 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 so that was pretty big for them jesus christ we had over three million people watching how we roll and they canceled us before the 11th episode even aired (laughs) but at any rate yeah uh that's a good show by the way thank you the ball was already rolling of like daniel bryan is going to go to anger management he's already teaming up with kane maybe were they I don't think they were a team. Were they a team yet? Or 
maybe that's how that led to them being a team. I don't remember how they both got into anger management, but at any rate. Um, so I wrote the first drafts of all of those. And specifically, like I spent like a good week um, researching every, every conceivable moment in Kane's career. Cause I wanted to do like that, that George Costanza like monologue of all the awful things that ever happened to Kane. And I even like, I went to um, the magazine people had um, a copy of like, they did a novelization of Kane's life story. I even like leafed through that. I didn't sit down and read it, but I was just like kind of thumbing through it and stuff. But the one thing, the one thing I was scouring YouTube to find, and I finally found it because I was like, I remember specifically Undertaker cutting a promo sometime in 98 or 99, where he admitted that he, Undertaker, had set the fire to the funeral home that killed their parents and blamed it, let Kane take the fall. And I finally found, and I was asking everybody, I was like, you know, Ryan Ward or Johnny Russo, like these guys that are just like encyclopedias yeah. of, you know, Monday Night Raw. I was like, do you remember that? They're like, that sounds familiar, but I don't know. And I finally found the clip and I was like, yes, because I didn't want there to be any holes. Yeah. Any, I wanted to be, to be totally airtight. Kane giving this monologue of his, of his, the history of his life. And that was the thing that stayed verbatim you know, and, and you, you know how hard it is to like write something and it goes through. Yeah. Everyone it goes through the senior writers. It goes through the, the production meeting. It goes through Vince. It goes through even just talent might change something. That's the thing that stayed ex like, as I wrote it on the page, the way that it aired. And I, I was just like, yeah. loved it. So money. It Thank was, you. It, yeah. It's, and I think that, I think that naturally is, uh, is something to be very proud of. Oh, yeah. That being said, uh, because they inspired the idea for Sasha and Bailey going to see Dr. Shelby, do you regret that? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I was, uh, yeah, those segments were, it just wasn't, well, first of all, I, I tried naming him Dr. Shelloway because <laughs> that, that was the, my roommate in college was Jared Shelloway. Um, but that that was the only thing that uh brian changed because he's i was like why'd you change his name and he's like i just that name shelloway he's like i know vince would take one look at it and be like the hell is a shelloway and uh he's like he would have torn up the entire thing and yeah. we wouldn't have done it at all you know like vince will focus on that one thing be like what is this guys yeah you get to a point there where and and by the way, like I, I was joking about those, those segments were fine. I, I'm, and I'm not one to talk. I'm one of the producers behind uh, Bailey. This is your life. But um, like, <laughs> like, you know, I, I may have not been like the, the main person, but I was definitely an accomplice. Um, it, uh, like when you kind of get to know him, like you, you know, he'll fixate on one thing and you have to yeah. prove it. Um, and then like you kind of do a like a proof of it and like you know how to play to him too so it works both ways in an interesting way yeah one of my favorite moments was i forget what the idea was but i pitched it to michael 
and he's like that's good that's good yeah 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 and we're already at tv it might have even been a pay-per-view but we were definitely at tv and it was like something that we need to get vince's approval of because we need to we need to have shot it you know an hour ago and i remember michael goes yeah that's good that's good <laughs> now how do we make vince think it was his idea <laughs> of course of course <laughs> Yeah. And as a matter of fact, it was me, Michael, and whoever the talent was. And we were about to go in Vince's office and Michael, God bless him. He <laughs> goes, you know what, Matt? Why don't you hang back? Because if there's too many of us in there, Vince is going to feel like he's getting ganged up on and he's not going to listen to the idea. Yeah. And he was right. Because then yeah. they, they got the, the idea approved. Like Michael's just there to be like, boss, here's the idea. And then the talent <laughs> pitches it, does it. <laughs> Because he's like, you know, I'm there to facilitate the thing. Talent's going to pitch the thing. Vince is going to be wondering, the fuck is he doing here? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't think people get like, he listens to talent a lot. Uh, yeah. Because they're like, they're the ones that have to go out and do it. Like, that's what that was Vince's thing. And I wish more talent realized this. Because I, I, I got to assume that, that they are really intimidated by Vince. Um, or they think just Vince loves them and they, you know, think that they're, they'll, they'll be fine. Whereas it's like, Vince will always say, if, if talent has a better idea, I want to hear it. You know, he would always say that. Yeah. But I, you know, I found like a lot of the wrestlers, it's funny the day that it clicked in my head, I was like, oh my God, wrestlers are more insecure than comedians. Like, I was like, huh. oh, oh, I see what's going on here. Because it's like, in addition to seeking that approval as an entertainer, you also are an athlete. So there's this this total, like, double whammy of, yeah. you know, insecurity. Um, plus, it's a cosmetic thing on top of it. Like, you got to look good. Yep. I was like, woof, woof. Yeah, it's, uh, it's also, too, like, I think one... I, I always praise Seth Rollins for being like just getting it and like being like a really good leader. Uh, like people don't take the totality of the show into it. Um, like I remember there were two newer talents coming up from NXT and they hated their creative. Uh, and like they were, they're being incredibly difficult. Um, they went into Vince's office, came out completely different and like the, from what Bay told me, essentially the way he explained it to them was like, listen, you guys are thinking about your segment right here. I'm thinking about that segment. I'm thinking about the entire show. I'm thinking about next week. I'm thinking about mania. I'm thinking about the next five manias. So you have to think about the bigger picture. And a lot of times talent too gets like stuck in like the one, um, like what's happening that week. And it really, mm -hmm. really trips them up. Yeah, that was because when I first got to TV, I got to shadow Ed Kosky, who was just... Yeah, the best. Oh, God. I love Ed so much. And I learned so much from him. Same. Um, and particularly, he was so at ease with explaining the thinking of a creative idea to talent. Um, and even when Vince was just like, oh 
fine. Just we'll do a tag, you know, just whatever. When it was just like, it felt like we're in the fourth hour of this production meeting and, and Vince finally gets to the point where it's just like, do whatever. Ah. Like Ed was still so plugged into the process and just an amazing storyteller in and of yeah. itself, you know? 100%. I, I could listen to Ed, you know, talk all night. And that was one of those things where like, you know, somebody would just be like, well, why are we doing this? And he's like, well, here's the thinking, because it's like everything is a piece. Everything is a step along the way. And this is where we're trying to get to with this. You know, um, Dave was like that, too. Kapoor, he was yeah. so good at like, especially there was one time I, I remember like somebody didn't like an idea. And that was the idea we're going with. We had just come out of Vince's office. And the talent was really like, oh, God, this is going to suck. And Dave's like, why? What's up? And he tells him the idea. And Dave's like, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> he's like, but here's how we can do it and have it be great. You know, and it's just like, all right, this is what we're doing. Here's how to do it to make it exciting and to make the audience interested and also make talent interested. Because it's it's that thing of like, if if if, if I don't care, the audience isn't going to care, you know. Yeah. yeah, those two people, like, they had, like, such a massive impact on me. Like, yeah. like, you know, Dave, he was such, like, a leader who looked out for everyone and generally cared and, like, really preached um, teamwork and being a team and helping people and growing people. And, you know, he would kind of have this saying of, like, you know, regarding Vince, like, we know our guy. And like, once you get hit, like, and like, just like how you kind of have a checklist of like knowing what he's looking for. Like, right. I remember like, um, I remember one night where, uh, Eric Rowan, uh, Eric Rowan was picked to be Seth's live event component. So that's how we did the whole, uh, I guess what became the spider idea, uh, which was originally a rat. Oh, wow. And yeah. you know, like, Having worked there, I think, think you can know how excited he was about this. Yeah. Uh, so we we decided to turn, like, you know, an idea came up and we're there. It's like my, it's the raw team uh, under the Heyman era. And Heyman, you know, came up with a really good idea to turn Seth heel. And like, he kind of reorganized things in a very creative way. Um, yeah, it's like, and and Koski too, just come back to him, like, like you learn so much about like writing from him and, and like storytelling and and all these great things. The fact that he deals with all the, the job that he has, and he's just such a high quality human being that like doesn't let it impact him, yeah. really says a lot about his character. And it's just such an awesome guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I can't even imagine because he he's he's been there so long. Yeah, and I can't even begin to imagine the shit he took, you know, when he was new, and for it to not sour him you know yeah just a great guy just an amazing person yeah um yeah you we talked about a little earlier which do you have a uh a a favorite michael hayes story um that you feel comfortable telling yeah <laughs> I, I have several um i uh when I first met him, I came out of the elevators with, uh, cause I was, I was living in New York city at the time and I would, um, take the Metro North in and, 
and uh, eventually some way, if I saw him on the train, I would sit with Brian Gortz or once we got off the train, one of the riser assistant assistants would pick us up uh, and drive us to the, uh, to the Titan tower and riding up in the elevator with Brian and the doors open, we walk into the, uh, the, the lobby on the, uh, the fourth floor. And uh, Michael Hayes is standing there and Brian introduces me. He goes, uh, Michael, this is uh, the new writer who's starting today, Matt McCarthy. And Michael turns and looks at me. He goes, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm just kidding. Good to meet you. Welcome aboard. How thick is your skin? <laughs> That's great. And then um, I feel like it was like my first week. I don't know if it, it was even my first day. It might have even been later that same day. I, I don't know. But um, one of the writer's assistants uh, had gotten a bagel from Michael. Like he had asked for a breakfast sandwich. And uh, God bless him. Michael bit into it and a crown came loose. And he starts screaming, God damn it, Zach. What the fuck is this fucking bagel you got me? What is this shit? Oh, fuck. So then he's like, you know, blaming the assistant, like yeah. half kidding. Yeah. But then he gets on the phone with his dentist and he's got, and it's like right in the, like not the, not the two front teeth, but like the incisors right next to him, if that's what they're called. Yeah. And then I noticed as the, the afternoon is going on, <laughs> morning's going on. Um, Michael, like he, we're laughing and talking, but he like keeps covering his mouth. And even when he's laughing, he's trying to like laugh with his mouth closed. And I realized. Yeah. He's embarrassed that he's got like this missing tooth there. And it it really, I don't know, it endeared me to him. It just humanized him in a way of just like, yeah, guy's got nothing to be ashamed of, but like he's still a person and he's yeah. still like it it just was one of these people that has been larger than life, to like on the TV, and then to just have this see this very human moment, I was just like damn you know uh so that that always stuck with me that was um that was interesting but the the story that um i love is at at mania 28 we did the gimmick where um instead of having seamus and brian danielson wrestle and do an amazing oh, yeah. and like brian danielson's finally at wrestlemania and instead of <laughs> letting him have like a 15 18 minute classic um we do the 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 warrior gimmick where just he turns around bro kick one two three loses the ic title or whatever he had um world title in like seconds flat and earlier in the day he had already been doing the yes gimmick and that came from vince like vince told brian go out there and celebrate like you just won the Olympics. You just won the world series, you know, just celebrate like crazy, uh, which led to just Brian, just screaming. Yes. And then it became what it is today. And so he's already doing the yes thing. And I'm sitting there in the writer's room, just watching the show. And suddenly I go, wait a minute. When Brian loses, shouldn't he start screaming no? And 
I remember like Michael and Brian looking at each other like that. Yeah. How did, <laughs> how did that not occur to anybody? And the day goes by and later <laughs> mania is still going on. Brian and, and Seamus haven't gone on yet, but um, Michael comes back to the writer's room. He goes, Oh, by the way, Matt, going to pitch your no idea to Vince. But when I walked into the gorilla, he was screaming at four different people for four different things. So uh, not to date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think like, you know, when you see Michael Hayes, you get an impression. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, I think like the thing that I always take away from him and like he is a ball buster, but like, yeah, definitely does care about teaching and growing. And Absolutely. Like, and like, yeah. you know, like he is going to make fun of you like it's nobody's business if you are doing any segment with him. Yeah. But he's like the producer you want because Michael's like kind of like the rare breed of like producer who made money and is kind of like choosing to do it. Um, like mm-hmm. he like a lot yeah. of times like, oh, like you have somebody who like a lot of the producers like that you don't see like a lot of world champions doing because like they made millions and millions of dollars. Michael made like a lot of money and like he's doing it because he cares and he cares about story. And like his matches really always have a story too. And like when you have, you know, this is like an attraction-based business. Like a lot of times you're bringing back people who can't work or like you have to hide flaws. And like Michael's really good about hiding flaws about, okay, like, we need this match with like this retired wrestler coming out of retirement to go like 18 minutes. Cause like the pay-per-view is booked around it. You get like a, a five minute entrance. Then you do like a little, this, that, or the other. And that's really only three minutes of match time, but you have a good time watching it. Yeah. Michael, uh, plus you can talk to him. Yeah. Um, there, some of the, some of the, the producers, it's like, I, we're not speaking the same language. Yeah. Um, he as larger than life as he is he's very down to earth you know and he's and he is he's just like he's so good at his job and really Um, gives a shit too he really gives a shit about the business really gives a shit about the talent um doesn't want anybody to look foolish doesn't want anybody to you know not be given the best material that they could be given. Um, And he's just so good at laying out a match. You know, I would be excited so many times to see like if either him or Arn, if they were producing a match with talent, I was interested in watching, I'd be like, Oh man, I'm going to go on the floor and watch this. This is going to be amazing. I, um, I have a lot of good Michael stories, but um, I think my, my scariest one was we were in Long Island uh-huh. and uh, it was the, the Brock Ray story where like Brock is on the hunt for Ray uh-huh. uh, and you gave Ray like the pipe and like he attacked Brock. And then like afterwards, like Brock is like there angry, losing his mind. Uh, and like, you know, Brock will be Brock. He'll do his own thing because, you know, he can. And he also like has a, he's probably the smartest man in wrestling, for, like looking at how he's negotiated contracts and also like like if you've been around him putting together matches like he is pretty brilliant at it 
Um, so like Brock can feel stuff and like, uh, you know, if there's an extra round, he'll, uh, he might take a, he might improv a little bit. So Michael, it was a slam day and I, we were in Long Island. I was producing Firefly Funhouse cause like Bray was away from Nick for a little bit because like Nick was on SmackDown before Bray got moved back over. I was doing the Street Prophets AJ stuff. And like, we were just had like a skeleton crew even though it was a home show. And I had to play a medic uh, in the segment. Michael asked me to. I was like, Michael, like, I'm so slammed. And like, what do I do? I have to run into the arena. He's like, you'll be fine. I'm going to send all these referees down. They'll be in front of you with Brock. And like, you will be protected. So Michael's screaming at me and Gorilla to go. I jet out. Uh, behind me, no referees. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like i'm there with this guy who i am telling brock lesnar what not to do uh and i doubt brock knows who i am even though i've been at the company for a long time so he probably thinks i'm like a chubby you know local uh like you know from kurt hawkins wrestling school or something yeah um so i am very fearful that he is like going to put, <laughs> put his boot into my chest like i'm pat buck so luckily though Heyman like ran over because like Heyman was like you know Lear Rogers and like he he was in character and stuff but essentially saved my ass but <laughs> um speaking of arm though going back uh do you have a favorite arm story uh uh <laughs> <laughs> um I do. <laughs> Arn is, you know, you know, in in uh, a Christmas story, when the narrator says, uh, you know, some men work with clay, some men work with oils. My father, his art form was obscenities, <laughs> and and he would weave a tapestry of obscenities. Um, Arn Anderson was one of the funniest people I've ever come across in my life. And the things he would say and the way that he would say them were just beyond reproach. There was one time when uh, Josh Matthews was still with WWE uh, as an announcer. And somehow it came up like, people are going to what bar, what whatever city we were in what bar they were going to go to what nightclub whatever it was and arn threw in his two cents you know this was a town he was very familiar with and josh said arn do you want to come with us do you want to come grab a, a drink with us after the show and without missing a beat or even giving it a second thought arn anderson goes josh i'd rather suck a turtle's dick on the johnny carson show than have a drink with you <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's not normal you yeah. know the average person doesn't just you know paint a picture like that yeah yeah he's really that's a great. with words um and he, that's, uh, the, that's the tamest thing i can think of yeah uh <laughs> yeah that gun promo he had with cody was least surprising promo of the year <laughs> oh my god yeah i remember there was one time we were in the production meeting and the, some of the most fun was waiting for Vince to show up. And it could oh, be the best. 
you know, it would just be sometimes hours at a time, especially when Pat Patterson would be there because Pat wasn't there all the time, but he was like bulletproof with Vince. He didn't vent, you know, Pat didn't care. Pat could say yeah, what yeah. everybody was thinking. Um, and Pat would lose his mind that because he, he just he was not used to the like, we've been here for four hours, you know, and um, so one time we're all just sitting around and uh, Michael's talking and Arn's just Arn was actually sitting not in Vince's chair, but in like one of the lead writers. He was just sitting behind that table, you know, that faces the, the rest of the room. And he's just kind of like spinning back and forth in the chair. And Michael's like explaining this about the business. What, you know, we got to book backwards, you know, we figure out where we're going, like figure out how to get there like this, like that, you know, th this one needs to learn how to talk. This one needs to learn how to work all these different things. Aren't, am I right? And Arn was not listening to a word Michael said. And Arn just turns around in the chair and just goes, I'm fat. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I fell out of my seat. I'm just like, That's it was great. just too perfect. Yeah. That's too perfect. That's great. Um, speaking about those producer meetings, like you, there's a lot of wrestling lingo used in terms that are like only in wrestling. Oh, yeah. I have one. Do you have, do you have one? Well, I remember Vince once asked Michael... Uh, what's going to happen in this match? And he wanted he wanted a very specific blow by blow rundown. And instead, Michael's like, "Well, you know, they go in there, gaga, zabada, gig, 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 ass in over tea kettle, back in one, two, not today." And uh, <laughs> and I remember Vince when he finished. Vince looking at him goes, "I don't know what any of those words is supposed to mean." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, I mean, my favorite word was gimmick. I just love that everything was yeah. is yep. a gimmick. Everything was gimmick. Yeah. Um, Ask the gimmick if you're just yeah. talking about the word like, oh, do we have any of those purple gimmicks? Yep. <laughs> you know, is is you know, someone's on the phone. Like, is the gimmick on? Like, all right, we'll turn up the gimmick so I can hear him <laughs> talking out of the gimmick. My favorite moment though was. Um, by the end of the day, I would be so disheveled. Um, Same. <laughs> I would just like like tie askew, sweating, like hair standing up. One time Seamus said to me, he goes, you know what you look like, Matt? You remember when Kane took his mask off for the first time? <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, one time uh, Dean Malenko came into the writer's room. And again, probably the funniest guy I've ever met. Yeah. Um, and how he was not able to translate it into an on-camera persona uh, is is mind-boggling. It's it's incredible. Yeah, but my God, the things that he would say under his breath, and like, and I was like, you know, the lowest writer on the totem pole, which meant I was sitting because it goes, you know, at least when I was there, it was like writer, 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 then producer, producer, producer. And so I would be sitting either in front of or next to either Arn or Dean or both <laughs> and everything in my power, you know, you're, you're in the, the office with Vince. You don't want to cough or sneeze. 
you also don't want to start just giggling <laughs> um and those were some of the t- like biting like like digging my nail into my leg so i wouldn't start laughing at some ridiculous thing malenko said so anyway end of the day and i'm just looking like i've been run over by a truck and malenko comes in he's like what's with you why are you so disheveled why is your face all red are you on gimmick <laughs> like well found a new meaning for it now too yeah so great i was uh i was really stressed because when i started i was i was convinced i was going to be like if if i made six to nine months that would be a great run right um like 89 i think 89 writers came and went during my time there uh and i somehow he's not exaggerating kids yeah it's it's a high turnover rate. So I was like very stressed because it was like, you know, I grew up on like a massive like mark and I was like, this is really cool. And like, I'm running around and like, you also hear how like treacherous is backstage, which I think is a little overrated. Um, or I at least had like, I liked a lot of the people I worked with, but like, I was yeah, like- I, I, I didn't find, uh, you know, I, I was just talking with somebody and they were like, you know, there was a lot of backstabbing and I was like, hey, that was not my experience. I think I yeah. was just well liked. That was not my experience. Yeah. yeah. I you think, know. like, you know, I think the people that were not liked were sacrificed. But uh, like, I think that's know. what winds up happening like, is people like, like most jobs. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it was like backstabbing. It was yeah. mostly like, it's like, did you hear what he's, what his pitch was? Yeah. It sucked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, you know, other jobs would be like that, but like Meltzer isn't covering like the employee pool at Kinko's. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like to your point about like being disheveled, it was like my f- probably like second time week on the road. We were in San Diego and I went to go talk to us to Okada about something. And like Victor from the Ascension was there and just looked at me and was like, like at least you're getting in early. <laughs> like had me on the back and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> like he saw how like sweaty i was or like my my shirt was half tucked oh my God. um but going back to it, my favorite uh wrestling term to hear in a production meeting is if you want to play fuck fuck let's play fuck fuck because like you just know <laughs> wow <laughs> that is like the throwdown of throwdowns wow yeah i remember also hearing the um you know we're the ones fucking this dog. You're just holding the head. So that was like, that, was like <laughs> that, that would always be said behind the back of like whoever was in charge. That was in reference to, you know, we, you, you, you sign the checks, but we're the ones doing the work. So that's a, I've, I, I, that only circulated that I knew of one time, um, at NXT, when I was at NXT, where a, uh, I won't say who it was, but a main roster producer came down uh, with how they have different producers. Yeah, sure, and sure. It was like, you know, somebody new was learning and it was like the main event of NXT and like somebody was supposed to send like security guards and he's about to and like the person yelled out, <laughs> yelled that out and I was in Gorilla. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other one I heard, probably the one I heard the most was wish in one hand, shit in the other, see which gets going yeah. first. It's like, God, I wish Christian wasn't hurt. Well, shit in one hand, wish in the other. Yeah. They're really one man's phrases. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. um, did you hear about, so like we're recording this right after Raw uh, on Monday. Um, I think we're releasing this day after or two days after, but did you hear about Sasha and Naomi tonight? Did they break up? 
they walked out of Raw. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, WWE released a statement. Is this like minutes ago? Uh, this was released during Raw, I believe. Okay. Because Graves uh, said something on Raw, too. It was kind of awkward. Yeah. So this was released at 1030 Eastern. Okay. Uh, That's Sean pretty Ross, recent. Yeah. And Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful had it. WWE's statement on Sasha Banks and Naomi. When Sasha Banks and Naomi arrived at the arena this afternoon, they were informed of their participation in the main event of tonight's Monday Night Raw. During the broadcast, they walked into WWE head of talent relation John Laurinaitis' office with their suitcases in hand, placed their tag team championship belts on his desk, and walked out. They claimed they weren't respected enough as tag team champions. And even though they had eight hours to rehearse and construct their match, they claimed that they were uncomfortable in the ring with two of their opponents, even though they had matches with those individuals in the past with no consequences. Monday Night Raw is a scripted live TV show whose characters are expected to perform the requirements of their contract. We regret we were unable to deliver, as advertised, tonight's main event. Damn. Well, how about that? <laughs> I feel like this happened before, right? With Bailey and Sasha, or I don't know if that yeah, was. Yeah, I wonder. Was that a gimmick? Who's, who's the common denominator in both of those equations? Yeah, Bailey's. the thing. E equals MC square. Um, it's uh, that's a gimmick. Yeah, maybe it's time. To... <laughs> Let's call back. Um. Yeah, maybe we should, maybe they should stop him the tag tiles on Sasha. You know, if if you're not happy with your push here at the E, there are plenty of other options out. There's there's a wonderful program happening yeah. on the Turner Network. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure they'd love to uh, love to have you. Um, have you ever been in a situation like that where there you go, you know. Uh, talents walked out like that um i remember punk being handed a promo (laughs) about uh the rock and him refusing to he's like so now i gotta fucking put over the rock fuck that um I remember that happening. Um, I don't recall anyone walking out per se. Um, but I know that there there has to be something I'm not thinking of. I mean, I remember, yeah. you know, A.W. getting himself fired. making the kobe bryant joke on the headset um and i was i was dealing with those i was working with those guys most weeks and and i even gave the primetime players their uh their name um but fuck man when every week i would have to go up and tell them that the segment was cut Mm. i mean the, the, I'm not saying he was trying to get fired. Uh, what I'm saying is, is that that guy was 
at the end of his rope and I could see the mentality at least of, you know, I got to just take my shot and, and, you know, there must've been a fear, this pure speculation, but there must've been a feeling of, you know, I don't give a crap anymore. You know, maybe the question is, do you, uh, do you remember a very, one of the, one of the more awkward times you had telling talent they're creative? Hmm. Um, I remember telling uh, Santino Morella, Zack Ryder, and Jamie Noble, who was producing the match. I don't remember who they were wrestling, but for whatever reason, Vince wanted uh santino to do the cobra like at the beginning of the match and when i told them this like first of all i told them the time like how much time they had for the segment and like jamie noble god bless him he's just like does that include entrances <laughs> and i was like yeah that's from the moment it starts to god damn like also the, the, the other big note was they want a Cobra at the beginning of the match. It's like Cobra's the vanish. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I, I don't, I don't know. He's like, well, who, the, who the can we talk to? And I was like, go into the writer's room and Ed, this, this would have been raw because Ed is in there writing SmackDown. And I walk in the room and, and, and like we've been saying before, Ed's the best. Uh, but there's nothing but ball breaking going on all the time. And I walk in the writer's room and I go, Hey, Ed, he goes, fuck off. <laughs> and I go, Ed, will you explain to Jamie and Santino what the Cobra at the beginning of the match is going to be? And like, he had never, like, he never even told me to fuck off. He just turns around and goes, yeah, you know, like he's like, Ed, that's supposed to be the finish of the match. And Ed's just like, yeah, but can he do like. It's almost like a mini cobra. It's just like a like a little baby cobra happens at, yeah. the, at the beginning. Like he like he's like, all right, yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> um, but the other one that was just the worst was Randy Orton. I mean, this was at the time when he was doing the punt kick, and the feeling was if he does it as a shoot. He's kicking someone full blast in the head, and we can't do that. If he works it, it looks awful, and we can't do that. So now Randy doesn't get to do his punt kick at all. And for months after this, anytime you brought any creative to the Apex Predator, he would look at it and go, so we can do this, but I can't do my punt kick? Like there was one time too where I, I don't even remember who he was feuding with, but his dad was there. R Bob Orton Jr. was involved. He was at TVs. I think he was feuding with Kane. And Kane said something about, I don't know, killing Bob Orton, let's say, or, or setting him on fire, something like that. Yeah. And Randy's reading the copy and he's like, so he can talk about killing my dad, but I can't use my punt kick. And it was just like, Randy. I have no, I remember, I remember that time specifically, he's laying on the floor, reading the script and I'm just squatted down. He goes, so you can talk about killing my dad, but I can't use my punt kick. And I looked at him, I go, Randy, I have no answers for you. 
Okay. This is what we're doing tonight. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, I, I'm very lucky that like, I like a lot of people think Randy's really changed since he's, uh, or last like couple of years since he met his new wife and wife and has been like really cool. Um, I think like when you tell talent, like kind of like we we're talking about before with Dave, like, yeah, this sucks. I don't know what to tell you. Like, they're like, yeah, we get it. There was something once with Rand, and this was his uh, previous marriage. There was something, and again, I don't know who he was feuding with, but our boss at the time was this guy, Eric Pankowski. And I remember Eric was the one who pitched the idea to Randy that whoever, whoever his opponent was was going to mention Randy's wife and Randy's daughter. I believe that this was the scenario. Jeez. And Randy blew his stack. It was like, and and this like having it, you know how like when, when they're setting up for the show, like all the talents around ringside. Yeah. This is where this happened. And it was like, you could hear it like down the hall in the writer's room. And like Randy's just like, why don't we keep my fucking work and my fucking work and leave my fucking family at my fucking family's house? Like something like that. And it was just like, wow, I don't think Randy likes this idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, that was, that was wild. Um, and then the only other one that was like, I never wanted to tell Big Show any idea that we had because he was always, his first reaction would always be just like, fuck that. I don't want to do that. I want to sit on my bus and play video games. Like, all right, very cool. Uh, well, we have a live television show to do. Um, but everybody else was super cool. Um, <laughs> I remember because like, like you said, when, when I found out that the bar that they were becoming a tag team, I was so psyched because th those are my guys. Yeah, Seamus, I got to work with. Yeah, Seamus, I got to work with a lot, and Claudio, uh, I was like paired up with Claudio the moment he came to TV, and the first day at TV, he came up to me and he goes, uh, uh, "So and so told me to come find you. Uh, I need a rugby shirt," and and my first thought was, "Oh, this has got to be a rib." Uh, and I'm like, they, they, they told you to come find me to get a rugby shirt. And he's like, yeah, they said that I'm going to be a rugby player. Cause his original gimmick, when he came in, Antonio Cesaro had been kicked out of rugby because he was too violent. Now, not that he'd been wrestling for ring of honor and Chikara for the last 15 years. It was that yeah. he was a rugby player who was too violent. And I remember looking at him and thinking, I don't, I don't even remember what town we were in. And I'm like, there ain't no way in hell that there's a store selling rugby shirts. Uh, and I thought, and I said to him, I was like, you know what? I don't think it's going to matter. And then he didn't have a rugby shirt. And then no one ever brought it up again. And very quickly, he was not a rugby player at all. Yeah. Um, He's the best, by the way. Like that, that might be the nicest. The best. Guy. I love Claudio. Yeah. We, um, we became buddies and like we during SmackDown, 
before I left, we developed like these, cause like Vince was really a, to your point about getting personality out, uh, about like somebody can really wrestle once entertaining. So like right. we wrote these, uh, we came up with the idea of like, I think it was called like the tales of Cesaro or something like that. Uh, and like, they were obviously completely made up all done with a green screen with him, like wearing wigs and stuff. <laughs> um, and before we fleshed out the idea, cause like, you know, Daniel Bryan was like a, or Brian Danielson, like very big supporter of Claudio. And like, he knew about the idea and loved it. And like, surprisingly, like he has a, such an amazing sense of humor. He, you know, he was all in he was like pitching the idea to Vince. So then we had to like turn it around and we wrote out like a whole series of them. Um, and I think that they were pretty much signed off on. And then Seth came back to TV uh, and we, he got there, you know, it wasn't really the best creative laid out for him. And like, we talked about other options and that's what kind of like led into the Cesaro mania program, uh, like getting that trend to get that, you know, Vince to approve that, you know, uh, and move away from the other just because like we were there and it's just like yeah this doesn't really feel like a fun thing for Seth and we're Cesaro made like the the best opponent for him because he's like as big of a heel as Seth was at the time like yeah you know, Cesaro's like the nicest guy in the world yeah 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 you think he shows up on AEW I hope so yeah he might yeah I mean yeah. it's funny there I thought he's... it was gonna there was a camera guy who I tweeted about this and then it got picked up by like, you know, a, a couple of these wrestling Twitter dudes. There's been a camera guy at AEW who's like I've jacked, looks yeah. like, you know, Claudio's build, but also the fact that he, he, he doesn't just have, you know, a COVID mask on. He's wearing an entire, like, of course, ski yeah. mask. <laughs> doing the like, Dean Ambrose. This yeah. is highly suspicious. Yeah. He's doing the Dean, Dean Ambrose thing. Um, so we'll see. I mean, yeah. I, what I would love is for him and Chris Hero to at least have a, a another run as a tag team together. Yeah, I just but, don't um, see him taking the L, right? And I feel like that's what he's going to do, right? It's against Joe. Oh, uh, that he'd be the Joker? Yeah. Oh, my bad. I should have said that. Could be. Yeah, I mean, it could be. Um. I don't know. It's funny. It's like, it's God, I love talking about this because it, it gets like, I love that feeling of back in the room, yeah. of like the booking philosophy of like, okay, well, what, what makes the most sense? Like, you know, Claudio's the new guy. You do you want to beat him right away? But like Joe is also new ish and he's kind of the fucking, you know, he's a freight train. You don't want to yeah. stop his momentum, but then it's like Claudio, he's, he, does he lose on his first match in? It seems like that's a bad idea, but he's also so beloved. He, exactly. you know, is he going to lose all of his heat by doing that? You know, all right, well then do we do a fuck finish? Is there some sort of thing? But then it's like, well, that might hurt Joe. Joe doesn't need to fuck around to like beat somebody. Yeah. My initial instinct would be like, if you can do a finish where, I always mess up with how this was, but essentially kind of something based on the WrestleMania 8, WrestleMania 8 finish with um, Piper and Brett with the yeah. sleeper for, you know, the clutch. And 
you know, Cesaro gets like the victory after an awesome match. It's my um, favorite Mania match. It's it's up there for me too. Yeah. And then Joe beats the fuck out of him after uh, to get his heat back. And then yeah. have through the rest of the tournament, Cesaro fighting from underneath. Because I mean, that is the one thing about uh, AEW is because they have such a they give the matches so much time and they give them an opportunity to really tell a story that as good as the talent, as great as the talent in WWE is, um, there's a specific kind of match that Vince McMahon wants. And there are specific uh, ways he wants a match to be told in the ring. And the booking philosophy is the same, but the way that the match comes across on Dynamite most of the time you do get to that, you know, finish where somebody's up and somebody's down, but everybody looks good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's the attempt on raw, but it's when it's a three minute match and then somebody's (laughs) distracted for the third time tonight, that somebody's standing on the apron and then they fucking get beaten by a schoolboy it's like oh my god how many times have i seen this as opposed to 14 minutes of solid back and forth action where i really feel like my guy might win this thing he doesn't but he's all the better for it Mm -hmm. so i don't know well tony khan says he works all weekend did you see that no what did he say some some quote in forbes magazine he doesn't get how, you know, Vince comes in and he uh, rips up the, the script and he rewrites it before Monday. He I works all weekend. Before Monday. Try well, hours, whatever, hours before the show starts. Try hours before the show starts. All right. Seconds, damn it. I, I, there were times when the, 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 the show was starting and it was like, yeah. what's happening? Like, yeah. what is happening tonight? We've got the first two segments, so we're okay until, <laughs> you know, 840. Yeah. I once asked Michael that very question. I was like, why Why does... Because it's like, you're it's sitting all day. Yeah. You're sitting all afternoon waiting for Vince to show up for the production meeting. And then you run through the show and he goes, the fuck is this? It's like, oh, this, sir? This is the script you approved on Thursday night. And... <laughs> the producers all had a producer's call and they approved it as well. Now suddenly we're here. Everybody's hearing it for the first time and tearing it apart and blaming the writers. And then that's the story that goes out to the internet. Yeah. I asked Michael, I was like, why, why do you suppose Vince, you know, changes everything at the last minute every single week? Cause that's the other funny thing. Whenever Meltzer and Alvarez are like, Oh, I heard they threw out the script this week. And I'm like, well, how was, how did this particular week, you know the sheets it's like that yeah standard and michael was like i think he just thrives on that pressure and i'm not one of those guys i like enjoy knowing what's going to happen and thinking about what's going to happen and talking it through i mean at a certain point don't get me wrong i love the pencils down moment 
of, okay, this is the idea and now we're moving forward. Um, and that's something that you really only get with a live television show that, you know, there's no reruns every single week, uh, or like a late night show where it's just like, you know, the show's about to air, like we're, we're done. Like, yeah, like we did the best that we could in the time we had. Um, but this whole, like, trying to write your your act before you're about to go on stage is uh i've never had a good experience doing that yeah it's it's no. pretty wild um and i get that it's, you know he wants people to to i think he feels to an extent you see people's best selves under pressure mm. whether that's right. like the, whether that's true or not it's another another thing um what's your uh, we don't want to keep you too much. No, longer. but b- before you move on, but <laughs> but it, but that's when mistakes get made. Yeah, hundred yes, percent. Because yes. there's not enough. To, because like, like I said, when I wrote that Kane monologue, I spent a week, yeah, like vetting it, like with myself, with the footage, and going through everything just to make sure that it was airtight. And it's like one of the best things I've ever written. Um, the the Miz and Maurice doing the parody of 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 uh, oh, yeah. Bellas, you know that's that's like one of that's probably my favorite thing I ever wrote because I spent so much time writing and rewriting. You know, it's like writing is editing. You know, comedy is editing, and just like getting it to because it's like all the times that I was at TV and like Hunter's like, you think this is funny? This isn't funny. Go write it again. Oh, by the way, make it funny. I'm like. This is not an environment that I thrive in. You know, maybe okay. there are maybe there are writers that do. I'm not one of them. Okay. I like to enjoy myself and feel like I'm having fun and and I and I have like a, a certain freedom that that just, you know, the the ideas and the jokes just come when I have a good time. Very rarely when I'm pissed off am I making my best jokes? You know, I might come across funny because like I'm angry, like I got big laughs in the back, you know, when I would be pissed off and going on a rant. But Same. I mean, as far as like, right. <laughs> as far as like doing something creative and storytelling, uh, it's just not for me. But that's, yeah. but that's exactly why all of a sudden like the show's going and you're like, fuck, we forgot about this. Like, ah, shit. Did you see what they were saying on Twitter? They're like, yeah, we completely contradicted ourselves. And this is a team of dozens of people who, and we've gone through all the drafts and it's because it's when things change, that's when things fall through the cracks and it's just, it hurts the, yeah. the whole product. Uh, yeah. I, I, I forget who said it and maybe this is Michael, cause it's you know, really smart, but if we just, if, if the production meetings were just done the night before, uh, and like, obviously then you're like wading into territory of like those probably going very late, but like, kind of like how NXT would do it under the Belcastro era, which was like really smart. Like you have the production meeting the night before you go through the whole thing. Then you have like a brief catch up the morning of, but pretty much everything's decided the night before and changes are made night before. So when you get there, talent, writers, producers, everybody has their marching orders. Right. Like when I, when I would be asked to perform in a sketch on Conan, right? Like I would show up 
this is my favorite feeling in the world. As soon as I would walk in the green room, whoever the first person I would see, stage manager, costume person, whoever it was, and they would say to me, do you know what you're doing today? And I would say, no. And that was like a thrill of what's going to happen today. You know, the writers all knew what was happening. They had already pitched their ideas. And then whatever gets approved for rehearsal are the things we run, they would run through at rehearsal. And we rehearse a couple of things and then it's the rehearsal with Conan and, and Andy. And then that's when Conan would in real time approve what's going to be on the show and what isn't, or would be like, I see what you were going for. This is what needs to change. So it makes more sense. Mm -hmm. And then there's all this time of rewriting getting everything the way it's supposed to be and then do the show and that's that and that was an environment of like this thing is a well-oiled machine you know and people have time like people are under the clock you yeah. know especially if we're doing a pre-tape it's like the amount of times i heard the writer who's producing this you know pre-tape say to the camera person like you know, I appreciate you. I appreciate your craft. And I know that all the other cameramen in the city are going to watch this and see everything that you've done wrong, but we need this to be done. You know, we, we there's no more time to light this thing the way that you need it to be done. We just yeah. need it to be done. Yeah. I couldn't imagine <laughs> what that show would be if like, literally the band is playing the warm-up comic is out there and conan screaming at the writers and screaming at the talent just being like god what is this shit tear it up you know it's just, it, it, yeah ah. yeah um yeah all that makes sense uh i guess like you know is there anything that like really excites you still as a wrestling fan in a big way because like you've seen how the sausage is made but like i don't think like you know when people think like WWE is just like Hollywood comedy writers, like, you know, you're stuck in Connecticut, which isn't like you're either taking a pain in the ass commute like you and I did separately from the city there or you're living there. And like, you know, God, you know, Connecticut's great, but like, it's not, it's not LA and it's not New York city. These hours are really long. Like if you, and the, the pay is not entertainment industry standards. So I feel if you're there, you really have to love it. Um, so I guess just like what, like whether it's like watching things from the past or anything going on currently, is there anything like you, that gets you really excited still as a fan? All of it. I mean, I, I just, I just love pro wrestling. And, and I tell you, I was more interested in it having been backstage you know yeah. because finally the last piece fell into place i was like oh everything makes sense now you know i understand why certain storylines suddenly disappear or why a segment wasn't as funny as it was supposed to be or why this person was getting really popular and suddenly they lost their push it was just like all those things finally made sense because I understood because it, it it's also unfair to just say well it's Vince and Vince is crazy there are so many factors happening yeah. um 
And to be able to appreciate that made me a bigger fan of pro wrestling. Um, and it made me appreciate what the writers do, what the producers do, and, and bottom line, what the wrestlers do in the ring. And like seeing guys come back and like, I, like I was there the night, like Trent Barretta, like ripped his bicep. Uh, after having an amazing match with uh, with Tyson Kidd, you know, uh, and Trent to this day is still one of my favorite wrestlers. Yeah, he's back um, and better than ever. I know. It's just the thing that just excites me now about wrestling is seeing something that i love getting a whole new coat of paint seeing like my favorite favorite angle in wrestling is when the baby face comes back after being barred from the building under a mask you know loser leaves town Suddenly the Midnight Riders there. Suddenly Giant Machine is there. Suddenly Mr. America is there. And I keep meaning to ask who came up with Elias's younger brother Ezekiel because it is truly next level inspired of that angle in a, in a, in a, in a <laughs> way that I never even would have considered before. Yeah. And just to and and for all of all people that it's Kevin Owens is the one who's blowing his yes. stack. Yes. Who's the one saying, oh, Am I the one taking crazy pills? What is happening here? And then even further, somebody on Twitter, God bless them, uh, had the pitch of bringing back Damian Sandow. And yes, I saw Ste that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have Aaron come in as yep. Elias. Oh, that would be amazing. Which is so perfect on every level beyond the fact that the guy just has a great beard. That's the gimmick he was doing when he left doing the stunt double thing. Yeah. yeah. And Sandow talk about a guy that yeah. was given material that probably on the first sniff was like, God, why am I doing this? And made it yeah. just, you know, a, a shining star in the sky. I mean, do it. Mrs. Stunt Double on paper is the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and then Sandow doing it, it was like, this is the next phase of his career. This yeah. is, I mean, I, 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 that guy's got a great mind for the business as well, too. But yeah. When you got to truth as, as Dolph's stunt double, that was just <laughs> also amazing, too. I mean, it's just, that's what I, so people often are like, you know, Matt, like explain to me why you love pro wrestling. And I'm like, it's just, it's everything at once. It's every form of art and pop culture and sport at once. And when, when it boils down to it, it's the pursuit of justice. It's good versus evil, you know? Yeah. It's the good guy fighting the bad guy. It's the little guy fighting the big guy. Um, and when it's done well, there's just nothing better. I, I, I wish I had it in front of me. My friend is an editor 
and he cut together um, a piece of that Brian Danielson press conference he did after he uh, debuted at AEW. And Brian says something to the effect of like, uh, excellent pro wrestling. If you show excellent pro wrestling to anyone, they will love it because excellent pro wrestling is fucking awesome. And he cut it together with just all these moments of like great, great, what we think of when we like the hair stands up on our arms and we think about pro wrestling and the, and the, and the majesty of sports and the, and the absurdity of, of like this larger than life thing, these real life superheroes and cartoons and madmen showered in blood and covered in, you know, feathers from pillows. I mean, it's just, you know, men literally being tarred and feathered on yeah. television. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's just nothing, there's just nothing better. And the thing that every once in a while I will, I will watch and I will cry every single time I watch it is on Botchamania, <laughs> I think number 300 or 400, whichever one, it, he, he, it came out during the pandemic and he had recut, I wish I could give credit to the original YouTube. Somebody set wrestling clips to Bohemian Rhapsody. And then Matthew updated it and, you know, some more HD clips and some better, more relevant clips. Yeah, yeah. And it goes through that whole song and it's just this love letter, this Valentine to pro wrestling. And then it ends with these moments of, you know, Bailey and Sasha hugging and, <laughs> uh, you know, Daniel Bryan uh hugging that kid uh the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. kid at at ringside and like uh you know uh, Mick Foley holding up the belts when he first won it i think in Worcester and like that's the last image of it it's just like it just slays yeah. me yeah i just love it there's just nothing i love it's beautiful it's pro wrestling yeah yeah, yeah. matt yeah. It's been a pleasure. Give the people what they want. How can they find you? They can follow me on all forms of social media at McCarthy Redhead. I'm most active on TikTok and Instagram. Nice. And uh, if you want to listen to me talk about wrestling, I do it every single week on the We Watch Wrestling podcast. Wednesdays, new issues drop. Um, Vegas, we're doing a free live show. Uh, double or nothing weekend. Nice. Uh, everybody is invited. It's absolutely free. It's going to be at the nerd. Uh, a lot of cool wrestling related events are happening there, uh, the whole weekend, but, uh, our show is going to be, uh, 3 PM Saturday, May 28th at the nerd, uh, go to, uh, we watch wrestling podcasts, uh, our descriptions of our shows have all the information that you need and uh yeah you know i got some stand-up albums wherever you listen to digital music um my most recent one sober dad has uh, my full 10 minute pro wrestling fan uh manifesto that uh i think it's required listening for all wrestling fans there you go yeah so, <laughs> Yeah, those. Th that's where I'm. That's 
That's what I'm doing now. And this Thursday, everybody watch the series finale of How We Roll, back to back episodes. And and unfortunately, the 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 series finale, the season finale, which now turns out to be the series finale, uh, legitimately is probably the best show that we did. And the fact that they only ordered 11 episodes, I was like, this is half a season. And we finally started hitting our stride. And that was the show where I was like, oh, I completely understand how to play this character now. Um, so bittersweet to say the least. But yeah, it'd be awesome if everybody tuned in and suddenly it was the Hell biggest yeah. ratings we ever got. And CBS was like, oh, crap, why did we cancel this? This is good shit. Oh, God, <laughs> such good shit. Sophisticated. Again, Matt, we appreciate it. Don- Chris, you got anything to say? No, sir. Uh, bid on AEW if you live in Los yes, Angeles. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, just try to donate if you can. To yes. The description is in the link. Please donate if you can. Again, thank you so much, Matt. Chris, you the man. Peace. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Universal Wrestling Podcast. Check us out on the web at uwpod.com. You've got mail. Or send us an email. We really don't know what we're dealing with here, man. Info at uwpod.com. Universal Wrestling Podcast. Nobody does it better.